Melvin. Oh, I am your host, Adam Shamel. And I'm Aaron Schroeder. That is right. And uh, <laughs> this is the Quack 12 podcast, the most official, unofficial Oregon Ducks podcast on the web sphere. And Aaron, I've been watching nothing but duck b-ball. It's nothing. That's wow. the only thing going in front of these eyeballs. That's that. Is I don't know it. how you do it. I don't know how you do it. Yeah, One's well. capacity for handling so much sport mm-hmm. is truly phenomenal. I I haven't watched a damn thing. I still haven't watched the bowl game, which I oh, hear wow. we're going to be getting into a little bit later on with a you, very special friend. That's right. You watched a little bit of it, at least, if I remember. You nope. watched most of Oh, well. No. Well, I turned it on the recording, mm-hmm. but it was still... Pos- Wait, whatever happened, I just fast-forwarded to the very end, saw them celebrating, and was like, <laughs> well, I'm not going to watch it. Saw Oklahoma celebrating, I imagine. Um, well, that's all right, because th- that's the way this podcast works that's where this is the feng shui of it you know i'm the i'm the yin i'm the knowing about duck sports and this duck podcast and you're the yang man you're the (laughs) i'm just out here you're the opposite of that i am (laughs) as you take it's like being a truck driver's dog Mm. Just okay. along for the ride. That's you're the great... one who's got to be steering the ship and making sure we don't get into a wreck. That's I'm just right. here having a great time. Wind in the wind in the hair, hair in my wind. Wait, what? You're the <laughs> uh, hair. you're the uh, Chewbacca. I mean, Maybe the I'm Chewbacca, the motherfucking right? Chewbacca. I love Arr. that. That was a bad Chewbacca. It was Both of those were real bad, but that means we're not going to get sued by Disney. So that's good. That was, eh, you got close. Uh, well, Chewbacca, my friend, we've got four big games to talk about. And see, this is... Four? Sure, oh, yeah. There's, there are some disadvantages to having, you know, a co-host that doesn't watch any, uh, most of the sports. But, but there are also advantages of it. Because we talk about this every damn week. You, you know these players very well, I mind. You know, uh, we've been talking about them constantly. You have seen these players play. But you didn't see... I know names. I don't know faces. That's right. Well, you didn't see this week in duck basketball. And so it'll kind of be, it'll be a fresh experience for you. And I want to tell you, it was, uh, it was a, a doozy of a week. I'm trying to leave a blank, a blank expression here. So you can't tell if it was good or bad, but I'll tell you, we went against some high quality opponents. Noise. Uh, yeah. Who do you want to start with? You want to start with the men's basketball team or the women's basketball team? You know, we went with women's first last week. So mm-hmm. let's get crazy. Switch it up. Let's go with the men. Okay. So the men, you know how I've been feeling. Basically, this has been a team where, uh, it, it, unlike the women's basketball team, this has been a team where it's just they haven't met their expectations. Like, it's not due to injury that they've been looking so off. And they have looked real off. Um, it, it's just it's just veteran players like, you know, Will Richardson, um, uh, just not living up to what you wanted them to do. Transfer players looking very much like players added to a new system, you know, talented mm-hmm. in their own right. But like, no, the, the system, the Dana Altman system was not there. And as we always say, what do we always say about Dana Altman basketball, Aaron? One point per minute. 
One point per minute. Well, that's what you say. What other people say <laughs> is about Jane Allman basketball is it always gets better. Every year we say this. For for we've been doing this podcast for what? Uh, four years now. We say this every year. The men's basketball team, they get better and better and better as they go on. This that is year, true. I've heard that I've heard that before. That's right. And it's just the generic thing to say about this team. I wasn't sure that we were really going to get that. Um, I will say it was nice to start off, uh, you know, going into these huge games. We uh, on December 18th, we went against number one Baylor and we lost that game, but we were competitive. And so that was kind of nice to see. And then against uh, Pepperdine, we won that game. We beat Utah 79 to 66. And then against Oregon State, we beat them by two points. You know, mind you, uh, and it was a missed shot that we won that one off of <laughs> because Oregon State kind of choked the last second, but we still won it. So those that's what it looks like going into this week. We were talking about number three, UCLA, number three, UCLA. And wow. then two days after that, that number, yeah, number How five, USC. Well, you remember the way last year ended. Um, Pac-12 was all of a sudden like the best conference in college basketball. Right. I do remember that there was a thing where like the men were our men were getting really good, but then all of a sudden all the other men were like, oh, wait, Oregon they're State, also all good. At, yeah, USC, right? Colorado. Yeah, it was uh, everyone but Washington basically. Um, yeah, it was, and we're still there, man. Like UCLA has had an incredible season. They've only lost one game before uh, we played them. No spoiler, I'm just saying. So they went against the game, you know, with one loss. And then USC wow. uh, also has only lost one game. And so both these squads were looking very, very good. Uh, top of the, you know, top five teams. Really great. And because they returned so much talent from those squads, especially UCLA is just really fun team to watch, honestly. So against UCLA, we're in Westwood, baby. We got Bill Walton on the call. We got Dave Pash there, too. Uh, yeah, uh, they at one point Dave Pash tried to get Bill Walton to eat a sandwich and he didn't want to. That was kind of the highlight of their commentary. <laughs> what was on opinion. the sandwich? It was like I I will say this. It was this thing where it was like, oh, Westwood, this restaurant, college restaurant, is famous for these crazy stoner. Like it's got mozzarella sticks and it's got this and fried on. It's just like big old one of those big old stoner kind of weird sandwiches. No idea. What sure, sure, sure. Um, but uh, and he was just like, well, I don't eat cheese, and he's all like, oh, don't worry, like there's no dairy on this. And Bill Walton, it was like that Seinfeld episode where that lady just. Just shakes her head no when he at, when Jerry asked her to taste something and there's just no explanation or something like it just was very strange. He really didn't want to eat this sandwich. That was kind of the highlight of the whole game for me. But I guess I'll give you a few more details since this it was a historic victory for the Oregon Ducks. How a victory is historic. The way it was historic was because Dana Altman earned his 700th win, which is a whole lot of wins. That's a that is a whole lot of wins. Oh yeah, like he's just had such a ridiculous career, uh, you know, at both his stops, and um, just he keeps winning. This game, um, Jacob Young, who you know, I've been like really championing Jacob Young, you probably have. mainly because his brother you know who i like so much but still i i just like his energy he's out there he is a true definition of like a wild card like you know he's like he shot 11 of 18 
on the floor in this game. Wow. It's not great, you know. 11 of 18 is not great? Uh, it's not terrible, but it's I mean. It's two more than 50%. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Usually we're the opposite sides of this. Usually you're the one yeah, I guess demanding true. perfection. But but he got 23 points, uh, tied the game high, tied okay. uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Juzang, who's an amazing player on their side. You know, it was nice that we were going against like, you know, this is a lot of NBA talent. This is a lot of like premier college basketball talent. And it was still very competitive. But yeah, Jacob Young um, just went out there and just energy did. It's like, just it especially came up huge. And we should say, uh, overtime because this did go to overtime. Wow! And you should you could argue it shouldn't have because the Ducks um they kind of rallied back from playing pretty sloppy. I think they only hit one triple in the first half. Wow! But in the second half they just came alive um and really just started knocking these things down for like what felt like the first time all season almost. But uh, so they start draining three pointers. And they actually have a pretty command. Are they, you know, they're getting like a six point lead late in the game, but UCLA is kind of chipping away at it. And then there's only two points. You know, we got like a, uh, we had a six point lead with 44 seconds in regulation. Then with 21 seconds left, Oregon only has a two point lead. Uh, Jacob Young, you know, this is the good and the bad of the wild card. He uh, is trying, unfortunately, he kind of does a like uh, baseline like pass, like, you know, basically a pass like right under (laughs) our bucket and it gets picked off and the dude dunks it and it's like, boom, we're tied. And it just felt like it felt like, yeah, we're like I was excited just because it was like, hey, our team's showing life. So even if we lose in this embarrassing fashion, I'm still, you know, in this embarrassing fashion of coming back, but still losing. Yeah. But uh, they miss the late triple. And then in overtime. Uh, we outscore them eleven to eight. We never trailed in overtime. Wow! And overall, we had six scorers in double figures. I'm talking about Jacob Young with 23 points. Richardson was five of 10, 16 points. Uh, Nafali Dante, who's someone we're all very excited about right now, 12 points. Uh, Quincy Guerrier, 11 points. Devion Harmon, 10 points, and Eric William Jr.'s 10 points. So, I mean, that's that's really the squad we're relying on, too. Like, that is the team. That and Frank Kepnong, and then, like, Rivaldo right. Soros coming in and out. Um, Jules Bernard scored 13, uh, Tiger Campbell 10. But overall, uh, our three-point shooting wasn't great. I mean, it was 6-19, to 19, so 31%. Um, from the floor, we were 42%. But we just, I don't know, we played that scrappy-ass defense. We, we we put enough runs together, and we somehow walked out of there with a, with a win. I should say this, though. I should say this. Make in it be both, said. Both of our school, our games here for the men's team, we're in front of basically empty stadiums because they've just shut that down. And honestly, that's very yeah. smart. Yeah. yeah, that's the obvious move. Yeah, I, I you know, uh, I think that's pretty rad um points so 17 points off turnovers from the ducks and that's gonna be a big thing for this team if we're gonna have a chance against anybody uh and i mean now that's because our shooting is still yet to be desirable and so we need to make sure we're working on turnovers to give ourselves uh, more chances 
Absolutely. I mean that, and that's Dana Altman's. That is the strategy. Is that's you the have whole game. This, okay. You have this great, confusing defense that's constantly changing looks of what it's getting to you, but is, is typically giving you a lot of pressure, forcing a lot of turnovers, so we can quickly uh, score off of that. And right. And I mean that's that's the, and that's then the juice, baby. And then so that's I'll tell how you, you win games. Sure. Why yeah. Not? Big bang, boom. Second half shooting was a lot better against UCLA than the first half. Now, um, that USC, I should say this, that game, that game just, we came out and we're just shooting fire, basically. Just right off the bat, my man. Um, Against USC. Oh, yeah. USC, actually, they had lost, I think, only two games before this. I forget. I know they lost to Stanford, but whatever. Um. So USC, Will Richardson, I'd say, was the man of the match here. And that's what we want. You know, we want him to have like the Peyton Pritchard role because that sure. really is what he's supposed to be doing there. Well, he looked like Peyton Pritchard out there for this game. 28 points, 9 of 15. He got uh, um, five rebounds. No, sorry. Uh, 9 to 15 from the floor, 5 of 8 from three-point land, and four rebounds, four assists. And uh, re- really helped us out just by hitting the threes at the perfect time and like deep threes. And cool. I mean, everyone was doing super well in this game. We built a 16 point halftime lead. Now, uh, that, that feels felt, good. Oh, yeah. It, it felt. And, and to tell you the truth, we didn't really relent. I mean, you know, there was a bit where USC like got it into like a to a ten point game or something like that. But there was always an answer, and one big reason is because of our big man, Nafali Dante. Nafali Dante, six of seven from the floor, twelve points, seven rebounds, uh, but also just a terror in the paint, blocking shots left and right, and just like right there, had a lot of patience. Just, I mean, he's finally getting there. He's finally fully healing up. I mean, he's really the one biggest question for healing concern, you know, for health concerns uh, for the men's team is Nafali Dante. Nafali Dante is 100%. He is ready to go. And what was wrong? What was he? What did he have? Uh, Injury. I believe it was like a second knee injury, I want to say. Oh, it's like not even a first one. Yeah. Um, I, I, kind of forget actually there's so many goddamn injuries nowadays you know what i mean especially on these duck teams uh we'll get when do you think they'll start allowing bionic suits into uh sports asap is what i'm hoping (laughs) (laughs) yeah so it was an acl uh an acl ouch so yeah i mean cool but he looks strong and healthy that's nice oh dude he looks i mean strong is the way to put it he looks just like a I mean, a terror. He looks awesome. And uh, not only that, but then we got Frank Kepnong, who's not quite the, like, offensive attack, you know, uh, that Nefali Dante brings. But still, he's attacking defensively. He is also a big man. And he's got the energy on offense, which, again, like my man Jacob Young, who didn't do as well in this game. By the way, I'll just say it. This was, in fact, a 79-69 to win over usc so that is back-to-back wins for the men's team. so we basically played the whole game with a uh double oh. digit lead oh yeah we had nice. we had that cushion throughout the whole thing baby that is great um 
in a yeah first half we were like 17 of 30 from the floor seven of 11 from three-point range and that alone just made it so we could coast um also we scored uh so 13 usc turnovers turned into 22 oregon points and that's that's how that's what makes dana altman happy cool um so that career high for 28 richardson uh for sorry for will richardson career high 28 points it was also a career high for made three pointers for him in five and also uh for made uh shots in general nine in a game and that earned him pac-12 player of the week in these last five games in this five game stretch bravo average 19.8 points shooting 54 percent uh from you know uh, 51 from three can we just call it 20 Sure. 19.8. We got to be nerds. (laughs) You're really, you're really hating those nerds today. Hey, you know what? I don't have time for today. What? Nerds. Nerds. (laughs) Says the man in the Superman uh, onesie. Uh, Listeners, you could be watchers. This is a great time to plug our YouTube channel. Because not only, not only is Aaron in his kick-ass garage recording studio, and he's wearing an awesome Superman onesie. Not only that, but I've got my gift here. First of all, maybe I didn't bring this up. I've got this Oregon Webfoot jersey. <laughs> I don't think I've brought this up on the podcast yet. It's really cool. Dude, no, what is it? What is that? No, Please. it's just the Oregon Webfoot jersey. But also, there's a lava lamp, baby. I've got an Oregon Ducks lava lamp. I thought it's, that's what that was. And I was feeling the good vibes. It's tough because with lava lamps, you got to start it. So you got to start like an hour before you're going to do it. You also got to keep your eye on it. Yeah. And not only that, but I've altered my camera angle to show this bad boy off. But the light, the the awesomeness of the lava lamp is so powerful that it's not really be able to be seen. So unless unless actually is happening is that we are seeing what the aura of the power yeah. in which mm. a lava lamp that has been embosed in Oregon duckery. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What it actually truly is. It's powerful stuff. It It's truly power. It's really awesome. I don't know what company made this. They didn't sponsor us, but I will say it's really fun. It's a speaker in a lava lamp and it's Oregon duck themed. I'm going to turn off hip. the light so you can see. That's what it looks like right now. kind of looks like. Right. Nasty- it's heating up. You got to turn it back on, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's back. On. It's getting there. It's getting there. But if you want to see these things and you want to see our faces, Quack 12 YouTube. That's what you type into your Google and, and you'll Amen. get to us. You'll find us, Quack 12 YouTube. Uh, otherwise, if you'd love, help us out, baby, come on. Listen, you subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to. Um, also, give us five stars on Apple Podcast and Stitcher um, and uh, Spotify. Stitcher still uh, and exists. It still does. And not only that, but if you really want to help us out, go to the quack12podcast.com site. That's right. I say .com. Go to quack12podcast.com. There you can find our Patreon. That's the best and easiest way to access. Aaron, take us over. I'm coughing here. I got to get a drink of water. Everything. You're going to get Duck D&D, whereby in which Adam uh, sends me out on an epic quest to play the COVID season of Oregon Duck football as the head coach. And I tell you what, I think I did a bang up job on it. Not only that, 
but you actually get to uh, be privy and a part of an entirely different universe in which Adam and I travel through time talking about possibly manipulating the history and the outcome of Oregon Duck football seasons. That's right. That is Quack in Time. That is a uh, uh, that is a series you can find on our Patreon for measly bucks a month. Five dollars. Uh, yeah. Five dollars. That's it. Look at this. You go to the corner store. Mm-hmm. You want a IPA. It's yeah. going to cost you six ninety nine. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. We are less than the cost of one of your IPAs a week. And think and of wh- all those empty calories you're consuming. By not drinking one IPA, not only are you being able to give us $5 a month, but you're also saving yourself from 500 empty calories. And I'll tell you what, we'll get you drunker. Anyway. Oh, baby. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Your head will be spinning by the time we're done with you. So men's basketball um, in the Pac-12 race here. Top right now is number three, Arizona, 14-1, and 4-0 in conference play. Mm. Right behind them, number nine UCLA, eleven and two, three and one in conference play. Okay. Then number sixteen USC, fourteen and two, four and two. Wow, LA represent. Oh yeah. And then there's quite a uh, a tie here because Colorado's tied with them, and then so is Oregon. So uh, hey, that's not a bad spot to be. Four and two, very much in the conference race. Let's beat Arizona eventually, you know. Uh, whenever you we think play we them. can, I think we can beat anybody at this point. The Up King? next for them, I should say, is Washington oh, yeah. State and Washington, both in Eugene. Both Washington State showing some fight. Washington is bad. Uh, we should beat both teams. I'll be pissed if we don't. Let me ask you this: What's that? The Duck team that you watched play with a double-digit lead throughout the entire mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. That if they showed up on the court like that, could they beat oh, Arizona? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Okay. Perfect. Then we got to Then we're ask. doing it. Let's win the pack. That's all we got to worry about. Boom. Let's go to women's basketball. Woo-hoo! Now, we were saying last we left off, uh, we had lost to number two Stanford, obviously, right. uh, on January 7th. But um, at least we showed some fight. We had got a lot of players back for the first time there, uh, but not Sedona. California, we beat 88 to 53, but we're expected to. Um, yeah. Then Arizona State, that game was postponed, even though we kind of wanted to play that game, honestly. We wanted that game just to be able to say we played, you know, but that was postponed due to COVID on their part. Right. So then it went to number seven. Oh, yeah. Number seven, Arizona, followed by number Hmm. nine, UConn. Wow. Now, both of these games in Eugene, number seven, Arizona. I'll tell you this. Tahina Pow Pow. Pow Pow. She she shot like like Annie Oakley out there. Really, four points, eight of fourteen, two of five from three point range. Uh, I will say they did not look good this game. They truly did not for most of it. It was like at the end of the first quarter, is seventeen to fifteen Arizona lead. Uh, then um, they were outscored twenty one to twelve in the second. So they were trailing at the half and they honestly, they just looked outplayed for almost the entirety of the game. Hmm. Uh, There was a 17 point deficit heading into the, or late in the third quarter, we were down by 17 points. However, 
I I believe uh so uh Reese, a, a key player for Arizona, I believe she fouled out. I want to say she fouled out. Hmm. And that really changed everything for the Ducks because suddenly they just weren't as as effective of an offense. Arizona wasn't. Right. Oregon was able to rally back. Uh, they now, used their size and just started dominating inside. It seems as though you'd want to take out a key player before they fouled out just to let them cool down for a little bit, right? So Arizona yeah. blew it. Um uh, Arizona. Well, yeah, I mean, they, they certainly wanted her to play. They had a, a cushy lead. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And so you take her, take the player out for like a minute and a half just to cool down because a key player fouling a bunch is not a part of the game plan. I would assume. Right. Mm. Or is it? And they just assumed once she's out, we are up by enough that they won't come back. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I, I don't know. They were hoping that was the plan, but it did not work out because right. Oregon's tall furs forced overtime. And <laughs> it was, it was amazing. Just like the height was just way too much for them inside. And it resulted in uh, their offense just totally stalling out. The Ducks rallied back, even though they were super good from the charity stripe all night. Suddenly, they were missing things to make the, it like what did you call it? The charity? the charity stripe. That's what Is I that call the, the free, free throw. throw line. Oh yeah, baby! I can never say that free throw. Free throw. I, it is a tongue twist. Free throw. Uh, and I'm talking like off the bench, like Filipina Che and uh, Chania Pinto. Just sparked the defense. They're Noise. some of my favorite players, honestly. Well, some of my favorite new players, I should say. Right. And we rallied back, you know, got to overtime, and then we we won that bad boy. Oh. And uh, not only that, uh, this really made me laugh. Apparently, uh, Arizona's coach flipped off. I don't know how true this is. This is a total conspiracy quarter. Arizona's coach flipped off, I think, like the ducks in general <laughs> after the game that's that is the rumor and like to the floor sure. it's it's actually a a little bit more um than a rumor is my guess is a uh adia barnes um it's probably a little bit more of a rumor just because like there was like a little like apology kind of thing was it on did, the I court think? Or was I, I guess it wasn't really apology. No, it was on the court. It was right after the game. Wow. But supposedly, too, other people, like Arizona players, were tweeting and saying, like, if you were there, you would heard Kelly Graves was cursing her out. Like, and there's no, like, instance of, like, what he's saying. But he's, like, swearing at them. And so she's, and, like, not only that, there was also a story of Barnes um, flipped off, like, at the end of the different game. Uh, she flipped off. Uh, sorry. The to get to the national championship game because she played in the national, you know, uh, Arizona made it to the national championship game. Um, at the end, she kind of flipped off in general, being like, fuck the haters, and flipped off, but it was like caught on camera, so it was in general, like the haters. <laughs> I kind of like it, I don't know. like, I guess that's what you do in the age of social media, though, right? You just do like crazy shit because then if you're getting going all the time, then maybe your team. Somehow, I don't know. I don't get I it. Maybe she. Maybe they need to take a. Uh, it's like, like the Pistons. A, they're like the bad girls, maybe, and they're like, yeah, 
Well, I don't know. Watch a really VHS tape about microaggressions and yeah. uh, anger control. I don't know. I'm always going to think it's funny when someone flips someone off. Oh, it's hilarious, especially if it's professional kind of setting. I just, I hope they're just doing it for the giggles and not like because they're actually super mad about it. Well, I'm sure that I'm sure she was pissed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I don't so know. Neat. I like it. I, I like this kind of energy. Um, Man, that so, game had a bunch of energy, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and like they did not look good for most of it. And then so there's only one game left here, and that happened today uh, against number nine, UConn. Um, actually, someone just joined uh, our guest joined the chat. And rather than being rude, I would rather invite our dear friend um, at Hithla Day from oh, Addicted yeah. to Quack to the contest. Because I, I, I'm not sure if you watch this game, but he's a big old duck fan so i bet he watched at least some of it um let's add him to the stream uh hithla day h-y-t-h-l-o-d-a-y the number one on twitter how you doing hithla day i'm well how are you i'm doing good man i've been watching oregon basketball and uh suddenly we're good suddenly we're basketball school <laughs> yeah uh, uh, turn, turn to the new year and both teams turn it on pretty uh impressive I don't know. I don't know about this, but what do you think about this theory? I think Dana Altman teams tend to get better as the season go on. Have you heard this? Uh, I haven't heard that theory before. It, it seems like uh, it has a lot of evidence going for it. Um, I don't know. Basketball's uh, it's college basketball is in a weird place right now because you know the NBA has you know the NBA requires you to do at least one year in college. You know, like uh, and you know, the effect of that is that the best players in basketball, uh, I think more so than football is driven by like, you have to have five elite players, right? Like it's, it, it's both, it, it's easier to do that in, ba- in basketball. Cause you know, five uh, is easier to assemble than like 50, which is about how many, you know, top level players you need for a football team. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you know, you, you got to have them, but then you only real, you know, the top level players are only going to stick around for a year. Right. So like the, that's the, the skill, you know, the premium skill is like, okay, so I can't just get five because that's too few, right? Like somebody will get hurt or whatever, (laughs) or or the chemistry won't work out. So like, here's my job. It's to get like eight top level players uh, who are all going to be with me for one, maybe two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, figure them out, you know, as John Rothstein keeps putting it, you know, align the Rubik's cube, you know, <laughs> to, to figure out, you know, the, how the chemistry works. Uh, and like Dane Altman appears to be very good at it. Uh, but it appears to be that it takes him like two to three months, you know, in order to figure it out. Um, he's the Rubik's cube master. I mean, honestly, it's, it's funny because I sort of like, I don't really know what goes into basketball coaching, like on a game to game basis, a day to day basis, a week to week basis. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't know what he's doing on the court. I don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Most basketball coaches aren't really doing anything except for sort of screaming and managing, you know, who substitutions. I mean, Uh, Kelly Graves ain't doing a damn thing on that, on that court. We've, we've talked about this, Aaron, like Kelly Graves is true. Just relaxed. I mean, it's literally the way you look right now. As relaxed as Aaron yeah, is but during he this podcast. Be, is my position. Well, but I, mean, I mean, 
He it's not like today. an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator in football who's like calling the play, right? You know, it's yeah. like, you yeah. know, every one of the 150 something, you know, whatever plays in football is like the coordinator, you know, has a play set, you know, that's diagrammed out and everybody knows what they're supposed to do. And in basketball, there's, you know, that happens in, in you know, towards end of the game, you know, like, okay, there's seven seconds left and we have to inbound. It's going to be, you know, this particular way. But like, anyway, my point is like, it seems like most of what a college basketball coach is doing in the modern game is, you know, personnel and chemistry management, you know, like, sure. It, it, well, and I don't know that there's a better one than Dana Altman. And so therefore, you know, always bet on Dana Altman, <laughs> you know, like there's, there's one skill in this game that's relevant <laughs> at the top level. And Dana Altman's the best at it. You just have to suffer through like the two months of him you know, figuring it out. Yeah. They're like um, the camp counselor that you love the most, but with just a very particular skill set. Well, he's also seems like a very stern man though. Like I've seen him smile four times, uh, and and some of it, like one of those times, was sarcastically. It appears. Well, they did some kind of a thing too backstage where he was a little goofy that they put on the Twitter. I remember that's fun. That was yeah, I mean, when knows, he is it silly, it's it's very fun because all of a sudden, and I, and I mean, Kelly Graves is also you know pretty interesting because like mm-hmm. you know talent acquisition right like you know you, you tend to for women on the women's side you, t- you know you tend not to have that many one duns um uh but nonetheless like it's you know the the way the game is played is like talent rules everything right mm-hmm, like there's right. i mean we've all seen scrappy football teams that take you know modestly talented players and then through great coaching effects you know they they make you know runs and every once in a while you see that in basketball you know like final four run by a you know a scrappy underdog type of team but like you know, for the most part, you know, women's basketball, you know, what I can tell from watching women's basketball is that there's enough talent in the country for there to be maybe 10, you know, competitive, like top level competitive teams. And when one of those top 10 teams plays anybody else, it's like an absolute slaughter. Just, I mean, it's yeah. like comical how bad it is. And um, benches can be real, like, you know, top to toe, amazing, like talent in, yeah. in a lot of women's basketball, like the top tier women's basketball. And, and so it's like, you know, in many ways, Grace has, a has, well, it, it's a different job because he's there's more on the development side. Cause he, you know, he gets to get these players, you know, tend to be longer, right. Cause there's not so many one and dones. On the other hand, it's probably a much more vicious and brutal, you know, game in terms of the talent acquisition. So because the pool is so much smaller, right? Like yeah. there's, you know, it's, it's gotta be something in the order of like 60 to 80, um, top level women's uh, college aged basketball players in the country in any given moment. Um, and it's probably three to four times that, you know, that's a real number. I I'm just extrapolating from the number of like, there's a cutoff, you know, whenever you, you know, it's like somebody has to be ranked number 15, you know, we're number 20 in women's basketball, but it's not like an even ordinal all the way down where like the gap between one and two is the same as the gap between two and three is the same as the gap between 10 and 11 is the same as the gap between, you know, 11 and 12. It's like not at some point you hit this, you hit this threshold where it's like, Oh, and then they're not the elite players anymore. And it, you know, it might as well be kindergartners, you know, out there, you know, that's what the top level women's basketball players do to everybody else. Um, And and so it's just like the number that are available, 
is it strikes me is being so small that women's basketball is like so much about talent acquisition and Taylor Graves has been phenomenal at it. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's sort of, you know, we exist in this weird Renaissance for Oregon's, um, you know, or, or not even Renaissance. Cause you know, it's the first time that it's a nascent mm-hmm. of, yeah. you know, of recruiting to Eugene where like for a lot of longtime fans like myself, it's like football, women's basketball, men's basketball, nobody, Nobody who's been a fan as long as me is accustomed to this at all, that all three of the revenue sports would be pulling down like, you know, insane recruits to Eugene, Oregon, like rainy little town, you know, college town, Eugene, Oregon. Um, I guess being rainy is not so relevant for the basketball side. But anyway, um, uh, you know. Well, no, I'll say, uh, you know, like all that talent. And even when you're talking about the top tier talent here, like even when it came down to UConn versus Oregon, two teams that are recruiting at, you know, the absolute top level of women's basketball, um, this game was still like affected so much by who was injured and who was coming back from injuries. Because hmm. against Arizona, like that was the first time our team was fully healthy. Because even when like Rogers and Pow Pow came back, Sedona Prince was out for a couple of games. So Arizona was the first one where fully they're here. And then against UConn, I mean, UConn was out some of their absolute, like a couple of their absolute best players, especially best, like, like, you know, point scorers. And that definitely affected this game. Um, meanwhile, we had everybody back and it felt great. Uh, I was really afraid, though, that like against Arizona, um, we were not shooting certainly from deep well at all to start this game. We fell out. We fell down like zero to ten really quickly. We missed our first four three pointers and it felt like uh, that was it. But then Sydney Parrish, she hits a triple. Then Niara Sabali hits a triple, which is one of the most beautiful sights and for this women's basketball team. When Sabley's hitting the three, usually we're we're doing well. And uh and then Tiana Pow Pow just like came alive in that first quarter. And suddenly, even though we were down 10-0 to start it off, we ended the first quarter with a 15 to 14 lead. And then in the second quarter, we just like our defense was just turning them over, and suddenly you could actually see like their the lack of talent in key positions for UConn made this so that it actually did become a pretty lopsided game pretty quickly. In the second quarter, we outscored them 24 to 10. And then we just had a cushion like for most of it. And nice. and, and your Rogers, who I should say um, actually scored the game winning bucket against Arizona. I should have said that uh, who's I'm very excited to see her play. Uh, she did real well in this game and, I mean, pow, pow, 22 points, seven of 17, four of nine from three point land. Uh, overall, we shot 37% from deep. Uh, and, and there was a lot of bench players playing in this one. And uh, again, like uh, Elise Hurst, Elise Hurst would be a starter for so many teams out there, even for a lot of Pac 12 teams. And when she was playing for us, when she was having to start for us, uh, you know, we looked decent but we didn't look like the ducks of old and then getting this talent back and then having her come in in the third and the fourth quarter where she was hitting threes. And, and truly those were the daggers. I mean, it goes to show you what uh, amazing recruiting does. And uh, while, why Oregon duck fans are now uh, completely addicted to top 10 classes as we should. 
feel that way. Because, I don't know, it feels good to win, and that's the best way to ensure winning. So, Aaron, that is another, that is four top ten wow. games, and we won them all. So we're a basketball school now. We're a goddamn basketball school. Amen to that. Thank yeah. God. It, it feels, I mean, it, it's like the perfect timing. Because, like, all year, we're like, um, I don't, we'll, don't worry, we'll pay attention to basketball when it matters. Like, don't, just after this bowl game, you know, just after this. And, like, I was real worried. If if we went 0-4 this week, <laughs> <laughs> to talk about, I, I was thinking about, okay, let's talk about some, uh, you know, old Maybe football. we really are a horror movies podcast yeah, now. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> Uh, so just to end the the basketball beat here, which I still haven't made a little video basketball intro. beat. There you go. So number two, Stanford sits at the top four and zero in conference play, thirteen and three overall. Right behind them, even though we have five losses to our name, but two and one in conference play is us. We're right behind them. So hell yeah! I mean, we're probably I I don't know Stanford's likely to looking, stay there. Looking nuts. Ah, who knows? I mean. Hey, we beat Arizona and we beat UConn. That's saying something. Uh, UCLA is still very much in the hunt. Two and one conference. Colorado uh, women's basketball is having an epic season. Really good season for them. Huh? They're number 21, uh, 13 and two overall. And then Arizona, they're number 10. So yeah, still plenty of talent uh, that we'll be facing. And we're feeling healthy. Though, that being said, the saddest part of all of this is Niara Sabali. Did go down with what appeared ah, to she's be, gonna be fine. She's a fine. leg injury. Yeah, I know. She I mean, came the back. Ne- they iced it. The nature of injuries in football and basketball are just so different. You know, like if I see somebody limping on a football field, I'm just like, oh, well, that guy's not going to play for next month. You know, and I see somebody limping on a you know, basketball court. It's like, I'll just walk it off. <laughs> yeah. Well, with her. Well, I don't know. We, we may not see her for a couple of weeks, but that may be more of a like. We've got plenty other players uh, taller than six foot five that can come in and just terrorize some people. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think it's just a precautionary thing. We probably won't see her for the thing that's remarkable about Oregon's la- women's basketball's last two games is the free throw shooting. Like, um, yeah, uh, you know, the, you're basically, you know, basic rule of thumb is that you want to be averaging one point per possession, right? So, uh, you know, if it's a, if you're shooting 33%, you know, from the, from the three point line, you're getting one point, you know, if you're shooting 50%, you know, from, you know, from, for two, then, you know, you're getting one point, but when you, you know, drive to the basket, pick up a foul and get two free throw shots, like you really ought to be getting two out of that possession, right? Like that's your, Mm. you know, that's why the game has gotten as aggressive as it has simple math. And like, you know, Oregon, you know, against Arizona, I believe it was like 22 out of 26 on from the free throw line, you know, like for me that, you know, the, the reason I shout myself hoarse whenever I'm watching a basketball game is I say the one thing over and over again, which is make <laughs> your flipping free throws, like make your flipping free throw and like 22, yeah. 26. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's what 87%, I think, or 80, mm-hmm. 85%. And, uh, and I think there were, you know, nine for 12 against UConn nine or 12. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and then so, meanwhile, the men's team have truly like, like, you know, lost two bad teams or looked worse against not very good competition because they're missing free throws. Yeah. Uh, and it's like their stretch. Yeah. 
you know, you can shoot kind of poorly from the floor, but as long as you're playing aggressive and generating uh, free throw opportunities and you make your flipping free throws, you know, mm-hmm. y- you, you are never going to be out of the game. And like the free throw, you know, your shots from the charity stripe is the one thing that you are absolutely in control of, right? There is no defense on a free throw attempt, right? You know, like, yeah. that's something that you should be able to do blindfolded. Well, un- unless you're playing in Tempe, because there is kind of a defense for the free throw there. Or in the old Matt court. I, I remember yeah. a lot of games there where, uh, you know, yeah, the, the rim is bouncing up and down like two or three <laughs> inches. And yeah, you do got to try to make that shot. We got to turn that into a freaking hockey rink already. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. that That's a wonderful week of basketball. Uh, Washington schools are also coming up for the women's basketball team as well. So, Hey, ho- hopefully a couple more wins, hopefully some more momentum. Um, however, we invited our dear friend today here for a couple of reasons. The main reason is because, um, you know, some people, they do sports journalism because it's a, it's a wonderful hobby or, or it's, their, it's just their job or, or it's just, you know, a little thing they do. Some people do it because if they didn't do it, their heads would explode with the with the knowledge that is not finding and you know someone to access basically well that's 99 percent of people on twitter Mm -hmm. yeah basically yeah twitter that's how they consider themselves anyway (laughs) yeah 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 that's what it's there for (laughs) but um uh, that's our friend hithliday here because he's got he's got got this information on the alamo bowl now aaron you may remember the game nobody cares about but like i had to do (laughs) Hours yeah, like, of film study on uh, try to get anybody's attention to listen like actually this game is really interesting no one cares <laughs> yeah no 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 uh, as with oh. every great world event <laughs> no one cares yeah, yeah i mean it, yeah bing bang boom i mean that was could have been years ago at this point uh, especially with like you know the the it coaching was literally last different. year right? <laughs> it was last year uh and you know and, and like Oklahoma, like they felt good for a minute, and now I feel like they feel shitty again about it already. But it was a good feel-good moment for them. But the reason why you're you're needing to talk to some duck fans about this is because that bowl game actually did reveal some interesting information for next season, which that is that's what it's always about with you know, in the non-garbage time. It's all about yeah. Given that it was sort of a pointless exhibition game, you know, yeah. Like between two teams, neither of which had their head coaches anymore, you know. Like <laughs> it's and a number of players had opted out, you know. Like yeah, it's it's it, you know, bowl games are always sort of pointless, and this is like super pointless. Um, yeah, I uh, hope Anthony Brown Jr. had fun in that second half when he was just throwing dimes. I I, I cannot had- I cannot explain that at all. It is by far <laughs> the most crazy thing as a film reviewer is like, you know, cause I watched three years of his Boston college tape yeah, and that's what he was doing at Boston college. And then he shows up at Oregon and he can't do it for like the two games that he played in 2020. You know, he's really not hitting the deep ball at all. Um, you know, I was baffled by it when I did my, you know, this time last year, when I was talking about my Fiesta bowl review, I was sitting there scratching my head, like, why did they get away from the, from the deep ball, it was the one thing that was, you know, that probably would have dug him out of the hole, or if they had a tool that it would dig him out of the hole, that was that, and they weren't doing it. And I was like, you know, is Joe Moorhead, you know, 
is he lost his mind or, or you know, what the hell? Because it can't be that Anthony Brown can't hit the deep ball. And then we watched this year's games and we're like, oh, God, he, he can't hit yeah. the deep ball. I, like, I have no explanation for where it went. Like none. I, I don't understand where it went. And I don't understand how it came back, you know, in this particular game. It was just <laughs> like, what the heck? Um, and it, I mean, like part of it is understandable because those dudes were always going to be open, um, you know, because of the way that Oklahoma plays defense, um, the, it's really the the way they coach their DBs is really stupid. You know, frankly, like (laughs) I, I sincerely hope that Alex Grinch, um, continues that methodology, um, in Los Angeles. Now that he's USC's defensive coordinator, because if so, every team is going to hit him against the sideline, every game for 300 yards. I mean, it's just like the way that their DBs play with leverage against the side, like you will always have the sideline. And if you want to throw it, you know, intermediate, some free access passes to the outside, you know, a little flat route, like the the receiver runs seven yards and then hooks to the outside, like the DB has no shot of covering it and you get a free, you know, 10 yards every time. Uh, Or if you want to just run down the sideline because your quarterback's got an arm and you want to hit 50 yard passes, like go for it because, you know, they're going to be open like and you know that was you know the that the happy you know i'm happy for anthony brown that he that he rediscovered his deep ball you know that's great uh, uh <laughs> just <I'm>, in time <laughs> i was happy i was happy as a film reviewer because like exactly what i saw about oklahoma's defense you know held up in this game and i got to see and be like see i told you so always my most pl- pl- pleasurable thing as a film reviewer um but like you know, the, the other, you know, happy news is that like, yeah, Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton and Isaiah Brevard and and Chris Hudson and Isaiah Crocker, like didn't know that he was still on the team. Uh, all those guys are real good. You know, they're tall. Uh, they run real fast and between Oklahoma's poor leverage. And frankly, the fact that their cornerbacks kind of stink, uh, uh, Oklahoma fans were sort of divided on that question. And I was like, no, they all stink. Um, (laughs) and I, you know, I think I was right. Uh, although it's, you know, again, it's sort of a six of one half dozen to the other kind of deal because it's like, I don't think they're real great, but if they were playing in a scheme in which they used normal leverage and played like trail coverage, or just manned up, like play a little press, like they probably would be performing better. And so, you know, it's maybe I'm being unfair to them anyway. Like, yeah, I, I, I really hope that continues at USC because, you know, if Oregon <laughs> ever plays them again, they're not scheduled to, but hopefully that, you know, they'll see each other in conference championship games and Oregon will light them up uh, it, with these wide receivers, you know, that'd be, that, that, that would be, you know, delightful. <laughs> right. Like, Can I, yeah. Um, so our uh, receiving core as of right now, I mean, I still feel pretty solid about it with with every receiver that you mentioned. I mean, they, they kind of slot in pretty nicely there. Do you think we're still a bit thin going into this next season? Or well, I, I don't know. I, honestly, I should know the answer to this question uh, if it is knowable. But, I, you know, I don't know where Johnny Johnson's at. I don't know where Jalen oh. is at. Yeah. Like, um, I, I mean, don't. Yeah, it was hard to know where Jalen Red was at like during the season, the last couple of. Years. I mean, I think I, as a slot receiver, I've always liked Jalen Red. I, I He's got great. Complaints with him, I you know, yeah. for what he for for what his potential is, I've always or I've definitely liked over the last two years what Johnny Johnson has made of himself. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, if you want to go four wide with 
you know, Franklin, uh, 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 Thornton, Chris Hudson, and, you know, take your pick uh, of, of somebody else who's not, you know, one of those seniors that I mentioned, like do it, you know, yeah. like, that's a, you know, that's a great, that that's a great wide receiver core and they're all very young. Um, you know, they all got a ton of eligibility left, you know, it, it was, you know, like those guys were just dusting them. I mean, they were just dusting everybody that they played against because that's what really high talent wide receivers do. And, and, you know, so that was, you know, pretty damn encouraging. You know, the, the other thing that's really interesting about the game on the offensive side is the offensive line. Like, you know, those guys with the exception of when they play teams named Utah, uh, (laughs) you know, the offensive line was run blocking at a hell of a, uh, you know, it's a really, you know, excellent run blocking, uh, offensive line. I kind of, you know, there's some, I haven't really gotten started on my Kenny Dillingham, the new offensive coordinator. Um, I haven't really gotten started on my film study on that guy yet, but like, as I've been talking about all year long, you know, whenever you have me on this podcast, like if you can run the ball, then it, the game's over. Um, it doesn't matter what the other, <laughs> your performance, the other four quadrants of football, cause you just run all over the opponent. Uh-huh. And most of you know, the question of rushing efficiency is, you know, do you have a good offensive line who can run block really well? Uh, and the answer to that question is yes, all those guys are coming back. Um, and, and whether Travis die stays in the tra- transfer portal or not, you know, yeah. Hey, look, uh, you know, Sean dollars come back. Uh, Byron Cardwell looks really, pro- you know, promising, you know, he was getting a ton of reps, uh, seven McGee, uh, you know, CJ Verdell technically. Yeah. Who knows? Back, yeah. Right? I'm yeah. not sure exactly what the, the running back, you know, room is going to look like, but like mm-hmm. they're all pretty well proven at this point. Uh, and the, the offensive line is pretty well proven. I, I I'm not, you know, my biggest single complaint about them is that I don't understand why they've been playing guards at tackle and tackles at guards, but like Alex Mirabal's not there anymore. Like, you know, maybe are you excited just to, I mean, that must be one exciting aspect of being like, okay, we got the same pieces. We're going to have a new offensive line coach. Like, mm-hmm. what is he going to do? You know, what, I, like, what are his... I am I am actually... Well, I don't know about excited is, is the right word. It's rarely the term for me. But, you know, I am I am interested to find out. because Because what Alex Mirabal was doing this year with the offensive line is insane. Um, and in that he was having guards play tackles and tackles play guards and there was doing a scheduled rotation, you know, of dudes and, you know, that like you really did have an eight or nine man rotation, like, uh, you know, absolutely insane. And, and if Oregon's, uh, performance at the offensive line were poor or, you know, any other team, I would be like, well, there's your reason why everybody no need to investigate any further, you know, it'd be like, it'd be like, you know, there's a dead body and there's a person standing over that corpse with a bloody knife. Uh, and it's like, I, I, I figured out who done it. Um, <laughs> and, and so this is like, it's like walking in on somebody who's standing there with a bloody knife, but there's, uh, uh, there's no body. Instead, there's a fully healthy person who's, who's dancing a jig. Like, uh, it's mm. like, wait, hold on. I this think is- I've seen this David Lynch movie actually. Yeah. Right. Mm. yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, I mean, it was totally baffling, you know, that, that it was as effective as it was. So, you know, I, I could see, well, I could see two pretty extreme differences happening for next year, given it's the same pieces, but a new coach. One would be 
it gets even better because, you know, these experienced guys who are playing out of position do it the normal way uh, and don't rotate and they're even better. Uh, another possibility on the other end of the spectrum is the crazy stuff that Alice Mirabal was doing was necessary to that performance. <laughs> and with him gone and, and them playing normally that they, uh, they suddenly, you know, play like crap. Like that's, I guess a possibility. Um, it would mean that everything that I understand about football is wrong or at least offensive line. <laughs> play but i guess it would be interesting um and then there's also you know everything in between can happen too so like that is a, a pretty interesting question to to see what will happen but you know ultimately i guess you know people are going to want to know what my opinion is about kenny dillingham and when i finish my film study i'll tell them but i, I guess there's what I would say is there's a floor here and it's a pretty high floor because I expect that the offensive line will play very well in terms of run blocking. And if you can, and they have, you know, whoever it is, they'll have a pretty good couple of running backs. And if you have those things, kind of the rest of what you do is secondary, you know? Uh, Speaking of secondary, there were uh, some fresh faces there for Oregon um did that give you any i applaud idea? that it, oh, it was oh. such a good transition that i couldn't even fucking land it because i was so excited uh all things considered on the defense i was the secondary performance better than in the alamo bowl better than i was expecting them to you know they didn't have mikhail Wright, they didn't have dj james they didn't have steve stevens um, dj james went to auburn breaking news maybe i don't know Yes. Yeah. Uh, Oregon's now sent three players to Auburn of all things. Um, the, cause Robbie Ashford just transferred there. Um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I, uh, the, the secondary, you know, wasn't bad. They actually didn't, uh, Oklahoma did not really hit a lot of deep balls to their outside receivers. They hit one really big pass. It was against Bennett Williams is like, you know, everybody loves Bennett Williams as well. They should, but like, this is his first game back after I think missing nine games and he just gets beat off the break. Like he's just, he's just a little slow off the break and the dude runs past him and Caleb Williams is a good enough quarterback to hit that deep pass. And it's sort of like, it hurts whenever you give up a deep pass and you sort of want to throw up your hands and you sort of feel like that happened a million times. But if you actually go back and look at the film, no, nah, they, they weren't really doing that. And even that wasn't an outside receiver. It was an inside receiver on a little stutter go. Um, the For the most part, you know, Oregon secondary held up pretty well. The one that's really curious to me is, um, well, about the, well, all of them are curious. Here's the complete report. Um uh, Triquiz Bridges, number 11, uh, was playing coverage pretty well, but there was a lot of tackling and leverage problems with that guy. So like, you know, what happens after the ball is caught or what happens on run plays or whatever, where he's like, has to throw the key tackle. I was sort of like, oh man, this dude needs to step up his game. Um, I have no notes on Dante Manning, number eight, uh, who's the five star out of, I believe, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and if I have no notes on a cornerback, it usually means that cornerback is playing really well, but I can't prove it because like the <laughs> camera is never pointed at him. Right. Like this, you'd assume like, if it was terrible, the ball would have gotten to him. Right. Like, it's not like Caleb yeah. Williams is a stupid, terrible quarterback. You know, I like, hope he is. I hope he ends up. Well, being, but no, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think that's true. I think that if Dante Manning were, um, were getting punked out there, that Caleb Williams would have thrown against mm. him, you know, mm. several times. And, and that never happened. So, uh. um, uh, Steve Stevens was out that actually hurt more than anything else because, you know, uh, 
uh, you know, that's where the biggest like talent step down is between the starter and the backup. Like Oregon definitely needs help at the safety position. uh, It's one of the reasons why I think that Jeffrey Bossa, who I think played a decent game, should be converting back from inside linebacker to a safety because I think that's, you know, a position of need for Oregon. And I think once the ILBs get healthy again, I think that ILB won't be a position of need. Um, uh, You know, uh, so, you know, all, all things considered, I thought the secondary played, you know, fairly well. The problem was the problem in this game, you know, for Oregon was the the it's the defensive front was out all those starters. They were they were out, you know, effectively 12 different dudes who would if any one of those 12 dudes were available, that dude would have been getting substantial playing time uh, over the guys, you know, who were who were playing, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like. Yeah, and so they couldn't stop the run. They couldn't stop the run. Um, well, they they actually did a decent job on an efficiency basis, but like they couldn't once a, a play broke, which that happens, uh, it would break huge, right? Like they were giving up like fifteen yard runs that should have been more like five yard runs, um, mm-hmm. and and that's the you know the, the depletion in the front, and that's the Triquois Bridge tacking tackling problem. Um, you know, and that's where the game is lost is that Oklahoma just like pressed their advantage on the run. In fact, it's the one like formational difference that they had is that during the regular season, they have this, you know, when it's second and medium, they would pass uh, 60% of the time. Um, In this game, when it was second and medium, they would, uh, they only passed uh, uh, 30% of the time. Like it's a huge, you know, 30 point swing. Uh, in their passing in the, you know, now, now, you know, second and medium, they're like, nah, screw it. We're going to run because Oregon can't stop the, you know, the run. And, you know, yeah. they were right. And that's how they were able to sustain drives. And we, and we only had one Sewell there and we only had him for right part of the game. So know. like that one doesn't concern me nearly as much though, simply because like so much of it is injury related. Like there's, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau is out. That's, you know, I, this is not going to be, this is going to sound like a no brainer, but it's like a more complex problem than that. Uh, let me circle back to that in a second um but like most of those dudes who are out are you know are coming back right like and they'll be healthy right so you know popovamavai instead of jackson powers johnson the offensive lineman having to convert to play nose tackle right (laughs) you know they're getting sir mills who looks like you know he could be in the rotation as a true freshman like Mm -hmm. uh you know keith brown was out jackson leduc was out both of those guys should be back playing inside linebacker justin flo should be back playing inside linebacker um you know, they, they, uh, the Funa was, was injured for a minute at least. Yeah. Right. He, you know, yeah. so, you know, uh, the, I'm not really concerned about the defensive front, you know, for, in terms of like what Dan Lanning is inheriting, it's not the talent that he had at Georgia. Um, yeah. the, you <laughs> yeah. know, and the closest thing to the talent that he did have at Georgia was cave on Thibodeau and he's, you know, going to be gone. Uh, that that's the part that I worry about it. It's not just Thibodeau. It's that the rest of the edge guys are just not even, close and in fact those are the biggest sort of problems is like swinson's not setting the edge properly um Mm. or they'll get dj johnson into play because they were depleted and like he's not setting the edge properly right like there's no the you know that you know that that that's the big deal is like and like i said i i know it's a no-brainer to say like replacing cave on thibodeau is going to be a challenge because like of course it is but like no really it's the edge like oregon is sort of more behind at the edge position than than anywhere else and you know 
uh, I know this is going to sound like one of those things that obnoxious other fan bases like to say, you know, it's like, well, Kayvon Thibodeau was really doing so much. He was really, you know, pulling his weight. So Oregon should decline, you know, without that dude, like everybody likes to make that prediction whenever a generational player leaves, you know, Mm -hmm. except in this case, it's actually pretty true. Um, Like there really, it really was the case that defenses were having to, or excuse me, opposing offenses were having to dedicate like two guys to that dude. And it really did like handicap those offenses offenses in a lot of ways and like no one's going to have to do that against Oregon um in 2022 unless something big changes you know that I you know comes out of left field like a transfer of a five-star edge player but you know I don't which yeah I don't think that that's in the cards but like yeah that's the you know question number you know this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody but question number one for Oregon's you know personnel in 2022 is who's the quarterback and is he going to be any good and question number two for Oregon in 2022 is who's going to be their edge, you know, players and are they going to be any good? And guess what? Those are the two highest paid positions in the NFL for a reason. You know, yeah. <laughs> like those are the hardest ones to find. So, you know, uh, it, it's kind of a no brainer about like, what are the questions for Oregon and sort of the things that every team wants, but like, it's true here. On the other hand, they, they have all the pieces that they need everywhere else, you know, to be mm-hmm. in a, to, to repeat as a 10 win team, you know, did, did that feel like a big exhale talking about all that alamo bowl oh yeah getting it I out mean, like I, I, your neck. I, yeah no I, it's i don't know it's frustrating to have to to wind up saying you know exactly what everybody sort of expects but like that to be like no no hold on this is why though you know you know if you ever read like scientific journals you know i was like about to of, say half of the <laughs> articles are like or you know it turns out that getting eight eight hours worth of sleep makes you more effective the next day than getting four hours worth of sleep oh, it's yeah. like no duh but on the other hand like okay but being able to actually document that is important and i know, I know it's, it's just like you're in 2021 and you get that article that's like like you know coming out as if it's breaking news it feels like and it's just like uh you know being wealthy may give you a step up in like yeah, in, right. in life or something but like, like every like, so oh, often you, you know you run those experiments and every so often it's sort of like oh we actually found out that you know four hours of sleep is fine uh yeah. or so, something like that you know like you you run the exp- like you still publish anyway like even if you find that you know the results were what you expected them to be it's still important to document it in a rigorous way but like yeah no thank you for the opportunity to dump all that off about the element <laughs> I think there's, you know, at, 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 uh, you know, most positions, Oregon is returning, you know, a lot of experience, a lot of talent, uh, you know, everything that they need to win, you know, 10 games, uh, if they want to win more, uh, they need to have, you know, good edge players. I don't know who that's going to be. And they need to have a good quarterback, uh, who, and I don't know who that's going to be. I guess we'll find out. DJ Johnson at both positions. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, someone's got to prove that water's wet is the other thing. Um, so, uh, Hithliday, the other reason why I wanted to have you on is because we found out some some breaking news that we're very excited about here, and that is our dear friend Hithliday will be taking the reins of managing editor oh. at the, some would say, the greatest Oregon Ducks website ever created. Addicted to quack. That is right. Hithliday, 
Uh, th- this is, must be a huge moment in your life, I imagine. Uh, no. Oh, well, <laughs> well hold I, like, on. We're going to give you another shot at that. His day, this must be the biggest the biggest day you've ever had uh, on this earth. Is that correct? I, I have no plans to change, you know, the content that I produce for that website. I will be <laughs> in charge of making sure that other people write the content that they ought to. Uh, oh, someone, someone's got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I will be in charge of the calendaring software, I suppose. Um, no, I, it's, I mean, it's, it's the, the recognition that I turn in reliable work is nice. I, I feel like my work is fairly reliable, but that's about all it is. Hey, well, SB Nation uh, doesn't hire jokers in that position, you know. I, do they? And, uh, well, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll be chiming in over on Addicted to Quack maybe every once in a while with an article or not. But but, but mainly I'm, I'm will be watching from afar this wonderful dynasty that you'll be creating over there. A duck dynasty, if you will. Mm. Fucking oh, wait, hate. did you used to have affiliation with the website? Loose affiliation, somewhat. <laughs> but um, Addicted to Quack is where you got to check out Hithliday's articles, where you got to check out the latest for uh, eh, for everything, for everything duck-related, and for just for nonsense, too, honestly. There's a whole lot of nonsense there. SB Nation's Addicted to Quack. Now Hithliday's Addicted to Quack. And you can find our dear friend Hithliday on Twitter, at H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y, the number one. Uh, we've got Aaron Schroeder here looking as beautiful as ever on YouTube. He looks thrilled that we've got four top 10 when suddenly we are Friggin the greatest thrilled, basketball. Bro. We're going to win a national championship. In Probably two, all the way. Two leagues. It's amazing. Um, and and uh, again, YouTube is where you can see my lava lamp, which is finally warmed <laughs> up. It's so I guess it's this is gonna be it's like, doing it. This is gonna be like an egg timer for when the episode needs to end. I yeah. start heating up the lava lamp it's and big, but it's working roughly when it's when we're done, it'll be just kicking in. Yeah. Hey, hey, I got a question because I missed the last couple of episodes. Uh how did the uh pick'em contest end? Pick'em contest <laughs> ended in yet another Aaron Schroeder victory. Huge it, it was close. Uh, well, no. no, I think he was like, you got like four points ahead of me or something. I was, One of the yeah, games was canceled. Uh, yeah, no, Aaron wins. I think I this mean, is the Pac-12 I think went one, one. over five <laughs> or technically over yeah. six, because I believe the bowl decided that UCLA takes the forfeit. Yeah. Yeah. You said, no. So there you go. Uh, yeah, no, it was, yeah, we suck. Oh, and six. Um, that, Hey, how about that Rose bowl though? Am I right? Uh, we should, I, we don't really got to add that to this. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, that, that it, shit was nuts. It, it was, I mean, it was, it was a goofy, you know, entertaining game. It pretty much yeah. went down exactly as I expected, which is I didn't think that Utah was going to be able to keep up with Ohio State's passing attack. I don't think mm-hmm. they would have been able to keep up with Oregon's passing attack. If they just had a quarterback um, or a game plan. Um, but, you know, there it is. Like, that was the thing that I, you know, identified in all of my previews of Utah is like, <laughs> you know that you can hit the deep pass against these guys not tough you know anyway the uh and you know the fact that utah couldn't you know stop them at all uh you know is not unusual the fact that utah you know utah has a a decent offense but you have to remember that like you know a lot of you know that like they you know a lot of that came on special teams or on like 
you know, uh, uh, Cam Rising, you know, broke a tackle on fourth down, runs for another oh, 60 yeah. yards, you know, <laughs> like on a scramble, you know, it's like, you know, you, if you just the- returned it, uh, yeah, returned. A, a yeah, I mean, that yeah. th- that game adjusted down is sort of, you know, I don't want to say like it's a blowout, like Utah's a good team, but like, you know, Ohio State, you know, probably should have been, you know, comfortably winning that game by about like two scores, you know, I would say. And, you know, Utah, I don't know. Like, this is going to sound like the most like sour grapes thing in the world for an Oregon fan to say about Utah, which, you know, blew them out twice. Um, because, but it's like, that team's lucky as shit, you know, like, (laughs) like I, you know, I'm not, I'm really not trying to take them down a peg or anything. Like I really do think it's a good team. And, and I was, you know, if you recall the very beginning of the year, I was like upset at them for losing to BYU in San Diego state. Like I, you may recall me saying like Utah should be better than this. You know, there's my, my, my off season prediction for this team is like, you know, look at where their talent distributed and their, you know, their experience and so forth. It's like, you know, this team ought to run the table in the South, which, you know, they basically did. Uh, and, and, you know, that, you know, this is my dark, dark horse pick to win the south you know for utah and they you know snapped out of it you know whatever the problems whether they were having at the beginning of the year like all of utah's performance was you know pretty much what i expected but like you know they were a little ahead of their skis the entire season because like they 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 didn't have any you know real serious injury problems you know until the bowl game like they would frequently have like fourth down conversions on just like luckiest shit plays like their special teams was worthless the entire year except for big games in which they would you know have these huge kick returns like you know there's a lot of like weird stuff with utah um that like who knows whether or not it's replicable you know if you're a lucky team maybe that luck will continue i don't know but like it's a it's a good team that looked like a great team because of luck you know is sort of my my read on that team and so like and and so then when i'm watching the the bowl game i'm like yeah look it's a good team that looks like a great team because of luck Mm. yeah you hear that utah you ain't shit I love you know, ending it's interesting this because I've always heard too that luck is um, half preparation and half opportunity. <laughs> so I mean, if you're in a position to take advantage of your good luck, then that is a skill, and they ought to be commended for it. Like that's you know that's what a really stable coaching staff you know does for a team. Like didn't get him a rose bowl though. Luck uh, ran out. <laughs> uh, well, I just you know, right. I've, every app should end with just a random shot at a different Pac-12 school. I'm kind of feeling Next like week, that's I'll go after thing. Arizona. But I mean, that, those are the Perfect. things, you know, that's the thing where, like, everybody's like, this is an instant classic game, and, and like, I'm, games like that kind of gives me hives, you know, it's like, I, I, I like watching defense, you know, like, I, I like watching yeah. like, a, a, a strategic contest between, like, okay, we need to, you know, change, you know, this attack, you know, here, instead of, like, oh, no, you know, what was it, Ohio State threw, like, three passes and had three 70-yard touchdowns? Like, oh, yeah. it's like, I don't like watching that you know you remember when we were talking to ohio state beginning of the season you were like okay i'm hearing a lot about jackson smith and juke but am i actually gonna see him this season yeah right just took out like uh, it just took most of the other starters not playing i mean he looked fun good for a lot of seasons no that was one that was really that that's probably the one where i was the most on a question that I was skeptical about, like I didn't go out on a limb and say, like, I predict this dude will get nothing, but it was like, uh, I have been, I was being told all season long that Jackson Smith and Jigba was going to, you know, explode. And, and I haven't seen it yet. Uh, and, and all the Ohio state fans were like, no, no, he's the real deal. He, he'll break out, you know, trust me. And then in 2021 he did. And so I was like, okay, good. You know, 
I, that's one of the reasons why I like interacting with, you know, fans of other fan bases is that, you know, when you get consensus on a question like that, that like, it's actually pretty valuable, but like, yeah, no, he, you know, with, with Olave and Wilson out, like Smith and Jigba and the other like super talented freshmen that Ohio State has, you know, they just, they just destroyed Utah's secondary. That was a predictable outcome. Uh, yeah. Cam rising, breaking a tackle on fourth down and running for 60 yards, not a predictable outcome. You know, like that's that's the difference between structural effects and luck effects. Yeah. And Utah sucks. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll catch you next week, Quack 12 fans. Uh, Get yeah. me out of here. Go nuts.